Thanks, Riley. It was well read. Good job. Church is where strangers become family. Have a look around, see if you can see any strangers, not strange people, strangers amongst us. Has anyone ever been to the Philippines? Show of hands. Couple, couple. I went to the Philippines oh, nearly 16, 17 years ago on uh, an exposure tour. At the time we called it a mission trip, but it was more of an exposure tour. We went for a couple of weeks. We stayed in this orphanage called the House of Refuge in Manila. And when we, I remember the plane landing and me thinking, what awaits us? I have no idea. Those who I'm going to be meeting don't know who I am. I don't know who they are. We were complete strangers. And so we um, tra- taxied from the airport all the way through Manila to this orphanage. And we were met with a fanfare of welcome. They were overjoyed to see us like we were long lost family who had come home. And we were immediately scooped into their Christian community. We were offered a thing called balut. If you've been to the Philippines, you know that balut is a very special and sacred and um, important cultural meal. I'm not going to show you a photo of it because some of you might be like, I'm leaving church. It's actually an egg that has in it a little chicken that they cook the whole thing and then you have to eat the whole thing. It's, it's a cultural experience, and they offered this to us. It was so hospitable of them. We arrived as strangers, but immediately we became family because of the presence of God amongst them and with us. It was such a powerful experience that church is, is the place where you start as strangers, but you become family. You see, nowhere else in all of society is this an expectation. Just think about it for a moment. Nowhere else in our entire society, society, is there an expectation that when you turn up, you turn up as a stranger and immediately you can become part of the family. And we might say, that's not our expectation, but it's God's expectation of us. And so today we're going to look at this idea, church as family. How does that work for us? It's part of us looking at who we are as a church, a membership course, as you like. And those of you that are already members, a good refresher and reminder on what the church is. And for those of you that are visiting, that are in, in uh, contemplating joining the church, this will help, I hope, make those decisions easy. So last week we talked about gathering around Jesus. The church is the gathering around Jesus. And today the church is the family of Jesus. We are the family of Jesus. And that's what Riley read to us before from Ephesians 2. It's what Ephesians 2 is all about. A little bit of background that was hinted at. There are two groups of people in the church of Ephesus. Two very clear, distinct groups. And they are complete strangers and they hate each other. Not even like exaggerating. They hated one another. Their racial tensions ran deep. And on one side, you had the Gentiles. And on the other side, you had the Jews. Now, the definition of a Gentile was not a Jew. So you had the Jews, and you had everybody else, and they all banded together. It's a strange thing for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? 
two different groups of people coming together as one church. It's a novel idea, wouldn't you say? It's a scenario where it would be easy for the Gentiles to expect the Jews to be exactly like them and the Jews to expect the Gentiles to behave just like they behave. But that's not how it works, is it? It just seemed like God has been in the business since the very beginning of uniting radically different people together with his love to transform the world. Both the Jews and the Gentiles have been drawn into the church because of their belief in Jesus. They love Jesus. Jesus is amazing. We want more of Jesus and they come into church and they realize they're in church with people they hate outside of church. It's a pressure cooker waiting to go off. And Paul realizes this. Paul is the author of the book Ephesians. And so he writes this letter to the church that's so divided on these racial tensions. And he says this, God has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that basically you guys are feeding and building and thinking there. God has destroyed it by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. So Jesus is like, I'm going to bring, make a new thing out of these two. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death, their hostility. So I want to show you how this works and I need some volunteers. I know we've got some young people. So young people, come join me. Come on. Yeah, come on, come on, come on, John. Come on, Paul. Yep. No, no, I need, I need seven. I need seven volunteers to help me. Great. I've got six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And Pete! All right. Now, I need three of you to elect to be a Jew. All right. One, two, three. Jews, over here. I need three of you to be Gentiles. Yep, great. Oh, this is going to be wonderful the way this has worked out. So the only thing I'm missing is a dividing wall of hostility. (laughs) Lyndall, thanks so much. All right. So if you can stand here and do your, not to me, that's right. I'm going to get that look when I get home today as well. Okay. Now, now, um, Jews just come in, come in here in front of the dividing wall of hostility and, and Gentiles come in here. And I don't know if you can feel the tension up here, but it is palpable. It is, oh, I'm going to move safer, safer down here. And God looks at this and says, you're my church. What are you doing? I need to solve this problem. And he says, I'm going to break down the dividing wall of hostility by forming something new. No, 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 Paul, no. That won't end well for anyone. So he would say, uh, Jews come this way, Gentiles come, come this way, because we're getting rid of the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to come here, and Annie, if you want to go in the middle. So Paul, just there. John T, it's good. Teresa and Pete, just here. Teresa, you've got to, got to tear yourself away from Paul. I know he's, he's everything, isn't he? All right, just, just there. Kind of, well, it's kind of. Oh, wow. Perhaps I should have just gone with young people. Great. That's it. And he would say, I have created this new thing in the shape of my cross. 
right? He would say, look to the cross, you are unified. I have dismissed, destroyed, thank you so much, wall of hostility, you're no longer needed. The wall of hostility, which is the law, is gone, and my new church is here. And then he would say, you need to look at who I've made you to be in the shape of my cross. Look what I did on the cross. I fought for you. Do not fight with each other. Do not fight with each other. Look to the power of the cross. Would you thank our Jews and our Gentiles that are now Christians? Woo! He says, how can you fight with each other? You're divided by this wall of hostility. How can you fight with each other and at the same time benefit by how Jesus fought for you? The bitterness in your hearts, God would say to those groups, is keeping alive that which Jesus has put to death already. Church, you see, is where strangers become friends, become family, become connected. And Jesus knew that we would all fight. It wasn't like Jesus set up the church and went, oh, I did not see this coming. I thought you'd just love each other and accept each other and get along. Jesus knew families fight. All families fight. If families don't fight, it doesn't mean they're super healthy. It often means the opposite, right? Conflict, difference of opinion in families is a good, healthy thing. In the church, it is a good, healthy thing. Um, we don't want it to get unhealthy. But the gospel has a solution. The gospel says, I've got a solution for this conflict. Everyone, give up what you want and take hold of what God wants. Because the reason we are in conflict with people, when we're in conflict with anyone, it's because we haven't got what we want, isn't it? And so we haven't got what we want, I want it, and we go into conflict. And the gospel says, all of you, Jews, Gentiles, everybody, lay it down. What does God want for you? Take that up. Now, Jesus realized that talking on in, in an ideological way wasn't always the best. So he offered some instruction. He offered some instruction to the Christian church, to Christians, to people who loved God. And he said this in Matthew 18. It's verse 15. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Just want to mention, I'm not going to talk much about this, but a pagan or a tax collector was the people they were realized Jesus died to save and they lived for. So it doesn't mean that they were rejected out of community. just want to say that. So this is the biblical solution. Step one, first port of call, find the person who has upset you or hurt you or offended you and go and talk with them. When we do anything else, we damage the church and we offend God. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you're hurt, and you will get hurt, you will get hurt. That's okay. It's not okay. You get hurt. But... But when that happens, go to the person. If that doesn't work, take two or three or one or two friends with you who are trusted people who have integrity and go and have that conversation with them. And if that doesn't work, then, then lean on the wise counsel of the church and trust them. This advice that Jesus gives is only meant to work with Christians. Like it's a great concept 
and you might put it in with your neighbours or your work or your families, but it's only meant to work, it's kind of guaranteed to work with Christians because Christians are people who say, I love God. And at the end of the day, when the pressure is on, I will choose to worship God rather than carry my stuff. I will lay it down. So it's advice that Jesus gives to the church, to Christians, that only kind of works when we're all together and we say we love God foremost about everything. It's how we can disagree and remain together. It's how we can have differences of opinion but still worship the one God. It's how we can learn to trust each other, even if we come from as different backgrounds as Jews and Gentiles. And I don't think we have that far to travel at all. You see, church is where strangers become family, which is what Paul says. He says, consequently, so he says, because of all this, because of everything we've just talked about, because of the Jews and Gentiles dividing wall of hostility. I hope that doesn't become a nickname for you. No, it won't. He says, because of all this, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. So he's saying to the church that was really against each other, you're no longer foreigners or strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That word household, we would directly translate to mean family. When you read that word, and in the version Riley read, it actually said family. That word means family. And I know, having married a lot of people, I've married one person, but conducted the weddings of a lot of other people, we do pre-marriage counselling. Sometimes we sit down and I run them through what's called family of origin. Family of origin is a big, big deal. When we first got married, Lyndall and I, um, I realized her family was weird. And I realized at exactly the same time that my family is perfect. Yeah. Everything I'd learned and grown and my values and all those wonderful things that had shaped me, I brought into our marriage, and that was the way things should be done should be thought about. That's how it happened. And I brought it into this marriage and Lyndall Lyndall turned up with her strange family. I was like, how is this going to work? For example, I'll give you a brief example because I know you you all want one. Decision making. In my family, because there's one way to make decisions, right? We did it well in our family. Mum and dad, dad just said, you're doing this. And then we went and did that. But in Lyndall's family, they had this weird thing called communication. They talk about stuff. Sometimes they talk about it to nearly the expiry date of the decision, but they they talk about it thoroughly to arrive at what everybody feels they want to do. You see the clash? You see the distance we've, over the years, had to navigate. Every marriage is the same. Every family. We are all different. We all come from different families of origin that we bring into our lives. It's It's a lot of what makes us who we are. So every family is different, but what you may not realize is we each expect this church to behave like our family of origin. Just think, look look around at all of us like, hmm. And when it doesn't, it can be hard. It can be hard. 
But I always advise couples, I say to these couples, when they come to these realizations of, oh, that's why you're strange, and that's why I'm good. I say, no, 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 no. You want to create a new family. You're coming together and you're bringing the wealth of that, but you're creating something new. This is God's now, your marriage. And God wants you to do something wonderful in this adventure. He wants to lead you forward using the richness that you both bring to this. Because your marriage is now God's marriage. Our church is God's church. It's not really ours. It's God's church. It's God's household. It's God's rules. It's God's history. It's God's story. It's God's family. It's God's. And we each, each one of us, need to lay down the expectations we have that this new family will be the same as our previous church families or as our previous family of origin, or maybe it's this current family of origin. This new thing will be different. It has to be different. Just like in a marriage, it doesn't matter how much you want it to be the same. Both couples want the same, and they're both different things. So I thought it would be helpful for us to understand how a household worked in the first century. Because if we can understand how a household worked, it will shine the light on a bunch of stuff that you may, may not have thought about or things that you may have been grappling with and pondering and like, how do we work this out? See, Paul writes, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. The church is where strangers become family. But you are fellow citizens as with God's people and also members of his household. So when he said household, his audience knew what he meant. When we hear household, we have a variety of different options of what it might mean. So first of all, a first century household consisted of multiple generations. 16, 14, 15, 16 was about the age that a young woman would give birth back there. This is the standard, the average. Which means you have a much quicker turnover of generations. Now, the mortality rate was also much younger, but what it meant is you could have four or five generations of people much, much closer in age than our culture is, is used to, living under the one roof. So houses were built with the allowance of it being expanded. They were built with the idea of we will add more rooms as the family gets bigger. And so as the family grew, the house grew. The older generations prepared the home for the younger generations to inhabit. What a beautiful picture of legacy. Those who've built and cared for the home, they now have the privilege and the blessing to make this space in your family home for younger generations and to nurture them into that space, to slowly give them ownership. Now, part of our vision here at Burley Village Uniting Church is to be a multi-generational church. This is our website. You can check it out later on. Basically, multi-generational church means a place where everybody from zero to over 100 is valued for who they are. It's a beautiful picture of church that God is giving us. Now, I don't know if you're aware that October, right now, October is Seniors Month. Did you know that? Show of hands who knew October was Seniors Month. A few of you. Happy month, seniors. I think that's what you're supposed to say. Now, hold that in mind. Every Friday we have a play group that meets at 9.30 downstairs. 
And that playgroup has been growing. So Loz and Lyndall and Linda have been doing an amazing job growing this, this playgroup. And on Friday, playground, this coming Friday, playgroup play Queensland have said, we want to make it bring a grandparent day. Right, so this Friday coming at playgroup is bring a grandparent day. Now we also know that not all of the families that come to playgroup have a grandparent because they come from somewhere else and they've moved here. And actually many of them, playgroup becomes one of the first places they dip their toe into community of like, how do I fit into Burley, for example. And so we're thinking, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be an incredible blessing to those young mums and those little bubs and the occasional dad to bless them by loving them, by some of our seniors going, I'm just going to turn up and love them. And so we want to offer that invitation. If that's you, if you think, I, I could be a great-grandparent for a morning, we would love for you to come, 9.30. Do they need to do anything, Lars? Just turn up, just turn up, 9.30, downstairs. It's, it's such a brilliant way to live this teaching that Paul is giving to his church. Because church is where strangers become family. Right? And we can look at playgroup and go, but they're all strangers. Well, they are until you get to know them. And because of Christ, become family. You're drawn into the family of God. The second facet of first century households is there was no such thing as privacy. As you and I know and enjoy it, there really wasn't. We are lucky to live in the era we live in. Every bedroom was likely shared by married couples and a bunch of other people that were connected to the family. There was no room allocated to changing. It wasn't like you went to your bedroom to get changed. It just, the, the concept didn't exist. The climate was so moderate, most people actually lived outside. Bathing would happen in a local river or a local lake or at a well, and there would be gender shifts. So the men would go and then the women would go. Doing laundry was a public activity. There were no fences. There were no compounds. You shared common land and you understood your neighbours to be as extended family. Now those common areas, as you can sort of see here, were in front of the different houses that they had. And they were for communal cooking, for doing the laundry, for public meetings and announcements. And only the very, very wealthy of this era had um, stairs indoors, had kitchens indoors and laundries indoors, and only the very wealthy, the top of echelon of wealth in society, had internal toilets. Most people would have felt like they belonged to each other. They were that closely intertwined. This is the picture of church that God has for us, that we belong to one another. You belong to one another. Have a look around at who you belong to. Go on, I dare you. I dare you. Go on, you can do it. You can look. You, even if you don't want to look, it doesn't change the fact. If that's confronting for you, it means you've understood the gravity of what God is calling us into. It should be confronting. I find it confronting. Because church is where strangers become family. You know, my heart actually grieves when I hear about a Christian who is going through hell and hasn't asked their church to pray, who hasn't lent on their church for generosity and hospitality and love and care. My heart breaks 
for them. I'm like, no, you're missing out on what it means to be the church. We are meant to belong to one another. If you belong to a church, you belong to the people of that church. So we need to look after each other because if we belong to each other, we need to look after each other because church is where strangers become family. And family is what gets us through when that family is gathered around Jesus. So thirdly, the smallest aspect of society in Jesus' day was not the individual. The individual is the smallest aspect of society in our day. But back in Jesus' day, the smallest they could ever think of themselves and their identity was the family, was the household. It was the smallest component. So we might say, well, this is what I want to do. That language would just never exist in first century. It would be the language of, well, this is what our family wants to do. So if one person came to faith, the family came to faith. It was a very patriarchal system with the father of the household well and truly on top of that pyramid. And when a young man would marry a woman, she would leave her family and join the father's family. And they would live under the leadership of the father, as would their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. And you get the picture. The youngest in the family were considered to have the lowest status and also the lowest responsibility. And it was up to the patriarch, up to the father, to ensure the safety of those who were youngest. So in a first century household, the oldest people in that house cared for the rights and the opportunities of the youngest in the house. Predominantly, it was the father who had the responsibility to protect those who were weaker and lesser. And in turn, those who were weaker and lesser would give the patriarch more loyalty and more obedience. So Ephesians says, This household built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You will be, like me, relieved to hear that I, as the minister, am not the patriarch of our family. No, thank you. That would be a diabolical disaster. Jesus is our patriarch. Jesus is, our, is God the Father of this family unit, of every church family, of our entire church family. And so Jesus' role is to care for and to protect and to defend those weaker and lesser members, those who are more vulnerable. Children, the young, those with a disability, those who are exploited, those who have no infrastructure of care around them, they are the top priority in the household of God. Because outside of the family of God, it's not safe. And they're not protected. And there isn't the assumed care for them that we would hope. But in church, it is paramount because this is God's family that we all belong to. And so fourthly and finally, the word household is a fascinating word. It means a place where you dwell with those you are blood related to. Blood related. Remember the church is where strangers become family Well, this happens by the exchange of blood, not your blood. You'll be relieved to know. We're not having a ceremony afterwards to do a bit of a blood exchange. 
It's not your blood. It's Jesus's blood. It's by Jesus's blood that we become the family of God. Now, socially, they would have understood themselves as like the big families and extended families, and you're our neighbors and you're our families. And so socially, they would have said, sure, they're all part of the family. But as far as genealogy went, blood was everything. Which makes what Paul says to the Ephesians incredible. He says, but fellow citizens, with God's people and also members of his household, God is declaring that people are part of his household. People are part of his bloodline. God is declaring that we are part of it. God is saying we are part of his bloodline, made only possible by the sharing of blood. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, his life, his blood was exchanged for ours. He paid for our sin with his blood. So we did not have to pay for our sin with our blood. His blood was poured out so that we could be marked as belonging with his blood. When you give your life to Christ, when you accept what Jesus has done for you, you are marked by his blood. He looks at you and goes, it's my family, my family member. They're part of my household. They're part of this deal. Look, they're marked with blood. You see, churches where strangers become family because of what Jesus did. And it's easy to see the way our society works and our understanding of society. It's so easy to go, it's hard to get a biblical understanding because our world is nothing like that. We just think differently. Everything's different. But if we gather around Jesus and if we start to see each other as family, it starts to shift. It starts to renew something and regain that which God wanted for his church. And so the challenge for today, as I wrap up, is brought to you by the book of Ephesians. Once we sing our final song and we finally preside the benediction, which will be in just a few moments, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it bring such glory to God if every single person here made the decision to find someone they did not know well and say hello? And I know that applies to all of us. Now, those of you who are visiting today, it's your first Sunday, you kick back. You have a ton of people coming to say hi. This, this challenge is not for you. You just rest and relax in this space. But for us who call home, we need to continue to forge ways of becoming family. And it starts with understanding who we each are. And I realize some of you, I've just plunged you into a sea of anxiety. Oh, this is the worst moment of church ever, Ralph. So let me break it down really quick. This is how easy it is. I'm going to put these questions up. If you are struggling what to say, g'day, my name's Ralph. What's yours? You can do that. I know you can all do that. If you want to go a bit further, how long have you been part of this church? And we could, that's an okay question to ask, right? So you don't have to feel silly asking it or think I should know the answer. You, nobody knows the answer to this question. You can just ask it. Tell me a bit about yourself. You don't need to find out someone's entire family history. It's not, it's not about that. It's about enabling us to connect and relate to each other. It's shoring up the fabric of who we are. And you might, you might dare to say, come sit next to me at morning tea. Or you might dare to sit next to someone you don't know for morning tea. Or you might even dare to say, come out for coffee afterwards, or come to my place for lunch, or whatever that, that looks like. 
We just need to welcome each other into our lives because Jesus welcomed us into his life first. This church is where strangers become family. And we, like it or not, are a family which God has blessed us with. So let's pray. Lord God, that, that you would destroy that dividing wall and enable us to become family members with people that, we, that could be enemies outside of this place. Lord, your grace is sufficient. Your goodness and your faithfulness, they endure forever. And we are part of this. We are part of a legacy that saw those Jews and Gentiles become best friends and become a, a weapon that you wielded to bring this world to you. Lord, we want to be used by you to bring this world to you. And so soften our hearts to each other. Open up channels of communication. May we find it easy to chat. May we find it comfortable to engage. May we see opportunities to pray for and to love others. And Lord, I pray for those this morning that have not recognized and not before today realized that it is by your blood we are part of this family. Lord, there, are, there may be people that feel estranged from you or dislocated from family. They found themselves here this morning but just don't feel like they belong. And Lord, we know they belong to you and so convince them of this. By your spirit, open their heart and their eyes to your love and to the love of this church. So Lord, we commit this to you. And may this be the first step of many we take towards strangers that they might become our family. And we ask this in your name. Amen.